Welcome to this week's episode of the People Podcast. Are you in human resources, recruiting professionally, or an entrepreneur growing a team? This is the podcast for you. We are going to bring you all of the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to take your workforce to the next level. Implementing the tips and know-how will enable you to create and keep a world-class workforce. Here is your host, Jesse Tinsley. Super excited. I have Aileen Lerner, founder and CEO of Interviewing.io today. Aileen, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course, my pleasure. So just to get started, maybe you can just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got started in, in recruiting and eventually founded Interviewing.io. Sure. Well, it was a, it was a windy and long journey. Um, I studied programming in school, but um, after I graduated college, I did something that a lot of people don't do, which is I, I decided I wanted to cook professionally. And you'll see why this ends up being relevant in a moment. But um, basically, after graduating MIT, I said, screw it, I'm going to go do something weird. And I cooked for pre- uh, professionally for three years. But what was really cool about that experience is I saw how people get hired in kitchens. And it's really, really different from the way people get hired for tech companies. So you don't really interview in a traditional sense. You just come in in the morning and you bring your knives. Then for the rest of the day, you're prepping a station. So chopping vegetables and you're making sauces. They're telling you what to do and then you're doing it. And then at night, you're actually running a station and putting out dishes. And then they're watching you the whole time. At the end of the night, if you did your job well, you get a job offer and they feed you. And if you if you didn't do a good job, maybe if they feel sorry for you, they feed you. But uh, they generally send you home. So I just was struck by how fair that seemed to be. And um, although it didn't come up for many years afterwards, um, it really just, just stuck with me. Now, of course, I ran out of money eventually because I was not that good of a cook and decided it was time to go back to software. So I worked as a software engineer for about five years. And in that time, um, I was on one side of the table as a candidate and uh, screwed up my fair share of technical interviews. And then uh, on the other side of the table, I was an interviewer, um, was a tech lead. So I was uh, tasked with hiring people for my team. And the company where I was working was really, really small. So its smallest, it was me and another guy on the inch team. And then at its largest, while I was there, it was five people. So we didn't have a recruiter on staff, at least not yet. Um, they got one later. And as a result, the burden of hiring was spread out among the eng team, which meant that we were all looking at resumes and setting up phone screens and actually doing the screens and and doing a lot of logistics and making a lot of judgment calls whether we were qualified to make them or not. Um, And this process just seemed really inefficient um, and we just kept getting interrupted. Like when you're an engineer, getting interrupted really sucks because you're solving a problem and then you context switch and then um, it's, it's not great for the company or for you. So I just thought, you know what, I can do this. I can organize the team a bit. And I thought at the time, I'm like, I don't know what recruiters do, but I guess I can make a spreadsheet. We'll see what happens. And um, that was so naive, but um, that's what sort of got me down this path. And then as I started running recruiting for that company, in addition to writing code, I realized that it can be so much better, right? I'm like, we're not necessarily talking to the right people. Third-party recruiters are not submitting very good candidates. And the thing that really frustrated me most was that even though at that company, um, there were people that didn't look great on paper and were great engineers. And I think we've all worked with exceptional engineers who maybe don't look so good on paper. We were optimizing for um, the kind of pedigree that everybody looks for. So like top schools and top companies, but that just didn't seem right. Um, and that's 
that's what really got me on this path was just frustration with how much credentialing seems to matter in a space where some of the best performers are self-taught. So um, ended up getting much more excited about hiring than I ever was about writing code. I ended up um, working in-house. I ran hiring at Trial Pay and Audacity. Then I started my own recruiting firm. And uh, one of the things that I kept doing um, was getting hit as I started blogging around this time too. So I'd write all this angry stuff on the internet about how resumes are dumb. And all these non-traditional candidates started coming to me and asking if I could help them get their foot in the door at good companies. And my honest answer was like, I don't know. When I look at your resume, I can't tell if you're good. So why don't I just interview you? And candidates really like that because then if they did well, I could bolster their application to companies when I present them I'd say I know this person doesn't look the way you'd expect but I've interviewed them so for what it's worth may not be worth much but for what it's worth a lean learner thinks this person can code if they didn't do well then uh, at least they knew what they needed to work on and we could try again in six months and um, that model ended up being really successful. I had to hire contractors to do interviews for me. And then eventually I realized that um, this could be a bigger business than just my little recruiting firm. Um, At the same time, one of my biggest frustrations on the company side was sometimes, even if I said a candidate was really good, when when their in-house recruiters would look at that candidate's resume, they just still wouldn't talk to them. Um, Because they were given, in many cases, very narrow hiring specs saying, these are the schools we hire from, these are the past employers we hire from, don't deviate from the plan. So that was really annoying. And then one day I just, like, what if we can make this anonymous and then I can force companies to talk to people that I think are good and hopefully they'll, you know, once they try it, they'll they'll be convinced that this works better than what they're doing now. And and that's where interviewing IO came about. So I can talk a bit about what we do, but but the premise is just you know, credentialing is broken in tech. Um, experiences for candidates are not so good. What can we do to make candidate experience better while ensuring that companies are talking to the right people? Yeah, it's fascinating. Recruiting is such an eclectic uh, group of people. Everyone's got such a non-traditional background in general. Like you came out from being a cook to being a recruiter and, and then founding your own company. And yeah, it's quite it's quite impressive. So I guess what inspired you in, in regards to like interviewing.io? What, what are you guys working on? What are you doing? And yeah. maybe explain it a little bit more in depth. Thank you for asking. So basically, we try to surface great talent independently of how people look on paper. Um, the way we do it is... We offer candidates, and this is going to sound a lot like what I told you I was sort of stumbled on by accident when I was running my business, the the recruiting firm before this. Um, But we have a place where if you're an engineer, you can book uh, completely free, completely anonymous mock interviews with other engineers. And these engineers are seasoned interviewers at companies like Google and Facebook and Dropbox and Microsoft, AWS, like all the companies that are known for having um, a high hiring bar. So if you're a candidate, you just get on our site, you grab a time slot, you show up at go time, and then there's a person on the other end waiting to run you through some problems and then give you actionable feedback. And if you screw up, no one knows who you are. So we have thousands of engineers signing up every month for this. And then, of course, we use the data from these interviews, all of which happen on our platform, to surface top performers in a way that a resume can't. So not surprisingly, if you know how well people do in interviews, you can predict how well people do in interviews. Uh, and that's that's the idea. So once you're a top performer, um, you can connect to any number of companies that we work with and 
We work with a number of great ones, so like Twitter, Lyft, Uber, Goldman Sachs, a number of others, but we also work with Stellar. That's how we kind of got in touch in the first place. Um, So if you're a candidate, you can just see this list of companies and book interviews with engineers there, uh, probably in many cases as early as the next day, bypassing a lot of the top of funnel stuff you typically have to do. And that interview is also anonymous. So earlier I was saying I was frustrated when companies wouldn't talk to the right people. And now we've sort of gone around that by saying, if you do well in practice, no matter who you are, you can talk to top companies. And then at the end, if things go well, you unmask, the company brings you into their process and hopefully brings you on site um, and makes you an offer as soon as possible. That's really great. Basically, open source interviewing is what it sounds like. And definitely yeah, especially in the unique. practice piece. Yeah, like it's kind of crowdsourced data about performance, right? Like one of the um, one of the things that we found out that's just nuts is um, if you look at how a candidate does from interview to interview, there's so little consistency. So um, we've had cases where so they do maybe five interviews. They'll ace two and completely bomb two, right? And that, that's what happens all the time. So at least once you get multiple data points about somebody, they start to converge a little bit and then we can get more signal. But that would not be possible without kind of this crowdsourcing element. I'm curious, do you guys have any metrics or data on how that affects like diversity hiring? I know that that's a huge thing in the space right now. And it's okay if you don't, I don't expect you to, but I'm just curious, since it's all anonymous, how that would impact diversity if you guys have any data points or anything like that. Uh, we do, actually. Um, this is kind of... I'll tell you right now, uh, we, we did not find what we thought we'd find. <laughs> um, okay. So we have a way to mask the gender of the interviewee in real time. So on our platform, interviews happen in CoderPad, but there's also audio and it's all just kind of integrated together. So we have the audio as well. And we have a thing that lets us mask the audio stream in real time so we can make women sound like men and men sound like women as they're talking. So we did an experiment where um, in our practice pool, I think for like a month or two, we um, made women sound like men and men sound like women. And then we compared, of course, we had some control groups as well. It was um, as scientific as as a blog post can be. Um, And we tried to see what would happen. So if you make a woman sound like a man, does the interviewer perceive that she's doing better, right? Or if you make a man sound like a woman, all of a sudden does an interviewer think they're doing worse? And what we found was that, at least on our platform, there was actually no difference. Like, uh, changing gender of the voice didn't seem to matter. But what was really surprising is that, despite that, when we looked at the average performance of our female candidates versus our male ones, women were doing worse. So, of course, this this was very surprising, and um, I, I wanted to dig into that a little bit. And... The reason it turned out that that was happening is because of what happens after somebody messes up an interview. So what we saw is that um, women uh, and men would both um, get frustrated if they did poorly in their first practice, but women would leave the platform seven times more often and not come back after a bad interview and they would just stop practicing, whereas men sort of plowed forward more often than not. So once we corrected for that and took away those people, then any disparities in performance went away. But that was an interesting finding, right? Because I I, I do think that it's probably not just women. I think it's um, anybody who's underrepresented in tech is probably not super used to the standard algorithmic interview format. And that works to their disadvantage 
because those interviews are a game, right? You practice. That's why we exist. It's because you just drill and eventually like you figure out how to do it. But people that don't know that it's a game might think, oh, I screwed that up. I'm not meant to do this. Whereas like if you've grown up around this and all your friends have like screwed up a few interviews here and there, you just know that's normal and you just keep going and eventually get better. That's, that's really interesting. I'd love to, to check out that data more in depth offline. But in, in regards to that, like there's a lot of talk recently about like different recruiting tech stacks of like what you're using for your ATS, basically CRM, everything else in the recruiting sphere. Where does interviewing.io kind of fit into like the future recruiting in regards to like tech stacks? I've, I've actually never been asked this question before, so I'm just going to make it up and we'll see what comes up. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> I think that um, in the past, so uh, zooming up, uh, uh, zooming out, I should say, uh, one, one level, um, historically, recruiting has been less about sales, right? And more about kind of supply chain stuff and like just vetting candidates, right? It's like you have a bunch of inbound. What do you deal with it? How do you how do you move people through the process? Um, and companies' uh, hiring processes were not set up for um, having to sell and go out and find candidates. And then something changed, right? Uh, the number of engineering jobs blew up. Uh, it's growing faster than the number of people that are graduating with computer science degrees. And all of a sudden, there's this huge disparity between the number of open jobs and the size of the labor force. Um, and this is very much in labor's favor. right? So all of a sudden, candidates are the ones that hold the cards, and they're the ones that have to be sold to. And I think that we're starting to see the effects of that. Um, but I think we're going to see that even more. And historically, you know, um, recruiting has lived under HR, right? Um, I think increasingly recruiting is going to become more and more of a sales and marketing kind of role, right? And that means that more sophisticated tools to go with it. Like historically, ATSs have been crap, right? If you look at something, I'm sorry, but if you look at something like Taleo or Jobflight, right? That's like old guard stuff where it's like, okay, the the main purpose of this is, is to create some kind of audit trail or to manage like paperwork, right? Whereas the new guard of ATSs, like the greenhouses and the levers, are much more focused on candidate experience and making sourcing easier and stuff like that. So I think we're going to see more and more moves in that direction to sort of keep up with this market trend of there's a shortage of candidates. So we have to treat this like a sales job and we have to treat employer brand like a marketing opportunity. That's great. Yeah, you definitely brought up a few valid points. I definitely agree. Recruiting as it is in today's recruiting landscape is definitely sales and marketing focused, right? You're doing working at like we're going to talk about a little bit later on the podcast is, is company branding and, and marketing in that regard, but also how do you sell the company and, and pitch it? And I think a lot of that comes down to like making sure you're working at the first off at the right company um, as a recruiter so you can sell from what you truly believe. But another good point you brought up is the new modern ATSs. I think the recruiting technology stack is moving towards one that's the open APIs. I think Greenhouse is definitely leading in a lot of those areas. It probably has the most oh, APIs. Amazing. Like we have an in- so we have an integration with them and it, it's just been a delight, right? Like you can tell that like having good webhooks and stuff like that is like core to their business, right? That's what they care about. Definitely. I, I'm excited to see that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge advantage. Whereas other ATSs, I, I won't name, have closed APIs or want to charge for them. I think that's a huge competitive disadvantage. And I think that especially as more, more of the, the internet 
goes to an open sourced or open API environment. So definitely. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I um, I agree. And I guess the other thing too, I was going to mention like tools like gem writers and sourcer as they were known, I think is also going to be part of, of this new like recruiting tech stack, right. Where this idea of like high quality outreach um, out of the box, right? So just making it easier to follow up, making it easier for, for people that aren't career recruiters to mimic, to mimic that, right? If you have a small company and you're a founder, how do you pretend that you have a recruiter? So I think that's also going to be part of it. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I think this is just all so much better for candidates and it's just making hiring so much better and, and like ethically good and stuff like that. Definitely. So ne- next subject we were chatting about was brought up actually uh, as, as I was sharing with you is we, you and I were originally planning on speaking. Uh, we got pulled into a, a Twitter conversation <laughs> about uh, corporate ban- branding. I guess I, I made a, sta- a tweet on Twitter that was uh, the opposite of what your blog post said. And anyways, what, if you could just like rehash an overview of your your overall, and obviously I'll, I'll put the, the link to your blog post um, in the show notes, but maybe just give a brief overview of what you're writing about corporate branding, employer branding, and does it actually make yeah. engineers want to work for you? Um, well, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, often, like when I was a recruiter, I'd have to do sourcing, and people still ask me a lot about, you know, how to do sourcing well. And my answer is generally that it's not really about the sourcing as much as it is about setting up the preconditions for the sourcing to be effective. And that is almost entirely employer brand, right? Um, And yet, like, companies just don't spend that much time on that. It seems like this chore or this, like, thing you do if you have time left over, whereas to me, I think it's critical for any company that's serious about hiring to to start doing this early. So um, one of the things, the reason that I, I started writing about this is that on interviewing, I, oh, you know, we have some really big customers, but then we also have smaller companies. Some of them are seed stage, some of them are like Series A, but a lot of them are companies that people haven't heard of. And some of them, uh, even though they're smaller companies that people have heard of. And just the, the difference in how candidates engage with these companies is so stark. Like having any kind of brand can give you something like almost a 10x, I think it's a 7x lift on engagement. Um, or just having good copy that actually talks about what you do and why engineers might care about it can give you like a 2 or 3x lift. So when I noticed that, I, I really wanted to um, get that message out in the world because I think everybody talks about how brand is important, but quantifying it is really hard, um, especially when you're working on a bunch of other things. So in the post, I was just talking about um, ways that you can come up with an original and compelling and memorable story uh, that's also authentic and attracts the kinds of candidates that you'd actually want to hire. And I think that doing that is really, really hard. So what I put out was just like leading questions that you can ask yourself and your team to come up with that story and hopefully come up with something that isn't the same like rehashed stuff about how, oh, we work at a startup, so you're going to make a big impact. Like that used to work. It doesn't work anymore. Every startup has the opportunity to make impact. So you've got to go deeper than that. Do you think it falls under recruiting? As I know you, earlier in the, the interview, we basically talked about, or you talked about recruiting moving more to like a sales and marketing role. Do you think eventually in the future the employer brand would fall under somebody within the recruiting org as a whole? Because traditionally it's fallen under like HR and, and people in and, and that space and less so on the recruiting side. I would love for it to fall more on the <laughs> recruiting side. And I, I even beyond that, um, 
I think it has to be a company-wide effort, right? It's sometimes hard to decouple overall brand from employer brand, right? And they certainly bolster each other. There are companies where the employer brand is the brand, right? Like, let me think of an example. Um, like, if you're an engineer, when you think of Pivotal Labs, right, you're probably not thinking about who their customers are um, and what they do nearly as often as you're thinking about the fact that they do a ton of their programming, right? Like, that's kind of what they're known for. Um, or companies like... Uh, 37 signals right where they're like working almost entirely remotely like that's the thing that you remember and that's the thing that becomes your brand to the people that you want to hire even if it's not necessarily about your product or your founding story but i i think that anybody that talks to candidates should also be the person that's kind of finessing the story because then you have a direct line to what's working and what's not and can iterate on it well and i think it's important for engineering to be involved too because they're the ones that have the interesting anecdotes and they're the ones that can actually tell you what it's like i don't know if you saw the 2019 stack overflow developer survey but one of the things in there that was really interesting was that if you correct for location and comp i think maybe one other factor the thing that engineers care most about is a mix of like tech stack and but also just the culture right and realistically for them culture is edge culture because that's the people they're going to be dealing with every day so the thing that people care about most is like what is it like to work there for an engineer and nobody but an engineer can really tell you that yeah that's a, that's definitely a great point and you guys see for applicant multiples for like companies like say you know you don't have to give specific companies metrics, obviously, but like in the macro, what are like the applicant multiples for a company with a really good brand, like a, a fame company, like Facebook, Apple, uh, Amazon, Netflix, Google versus, you know, the no-name startup? Yeah. Um, so what we saw is the, so like the Ubers of the world, for instance, um, are uh, likely to get 7x the engagement of, you know, Acme Corp. <laughs> But if you're Acme Corp and you've put in a little bit of effort into branding and you have copy that actually tells engineers a story that, that is authentic, you might get as much as a 3x lift over the Acme Corp who has not done that. So with, with a little bit of work, an Acme Corp can get like half the engagement of an Uber. That's quite, quite interesting in regards to, um, yeah, the overall multiples that they're getting 7x is quite a lot but doesn't surprise me do you see do you have any data on the quality of those 7x candidates because obviously volume doesn't necessarily equal quality and recruiting specifically yeah well in our case um these are the only people that see job listings are top performers um got it so like this is this i guess we should we should that's a great point we should call out that this is a very niche set of engineers like these tend to be senior engineers um in the bay area seattle and new york that are looking right so they're, they're a desirable audience some of them may not be desirable on paper about 40 percent of the hires we've ever made are people that are not desirable on paper but these are still like very savvy uh, very talented um and experienced engineers so that's that's the the demographic that we're looking at when we pull these numbers got it and, and i'm curious i guess my my the tweet that I had posted on, on Twitter that got called out in regards to your, your blog post was around, uh, it basically said something along the lines of that large brands save a lot of money um, in hiring people because of their brands. And I'm curious if you have any data in regards to like the average, co- obviously the compensation at larger companies overall is more, but I feel like even in today's competitive marketplace, I've seen a lot of startups, at least anecdotally, offer quite a bit more than these larger companies. But 
you know, XYZ candidate goes there because of the brand. They want, you know, Google or Facebook on their, their resume. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have any specific data, but one thing that I, I bet does happen is, um, and like the cost of hiring is not just the salary, right? If you think about the quality of the inbound and how much effort you have to um, put in into sourcing and other outbound initiatives. If you have a brand, um, anecdotally, um, just from my time doing this, and I'd love to see if if your intuition lines up with this, you're going to get like 10x the quality candidates in your inbound, like if if people have heard of you, then if not, right? If no one's heard of you and and you list your your company on AngelList, you're probably going to get a bunch of boot campers, which, and I don't want to disparage, right? But if you're looking for senior engineers, uh, that's not what you want. Um, And maybe you'll get um, a bunch of folks that just completed a master's degree, right? That's going to be most of your inbound, at least from from what I saw. Whereas if um, if you have a brand, like really good candidates are just going to start coming to you. And that's in this market, that's insane. So given that it takes like 10 hours or so to like source one good candidate that will actually talk to you, those numbers add up really, really fast. Comp is a separate issue, um, but I I don't know. I, I think that it's a little bit hard to decouple brand from comp sometimes because companies with a great brand, you just tend to pay more as well. Definitely. That, that totally makes sense. Awesome. Aileen, it was great speaking with you today. Anything, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if you want to learn more about interviewing.io or yourself? Well, uh, one of the decisions that I made, perhaps not the best one, is to make our company name also our domain name. So, um, Perfect. <laughs> um, so if you go to interviewing.io, um, there's a way to sign up. Um, and if you just want to say hello, um, I am Aileen, A-L-I-N-E, at interviewing.io. I'd love to hear from anybody that wants to talk more about this stuff. It's one of my favorite subjects. And we're working on a series of posts about brand. Like the next one I'm doing is the anatomy of a good job description. Uh, and we'll actually try to pull some numbers for engagement around those and, and try to say something that hasn't been said before. <laughs> we'll see if we succeed. But uh, would love to have conversations about this stuff. Awesome. Looking forward to seeing it and looking forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much, Jesse. It was a pleasure. And um, I lo- you you asked me some interesting stuff. I really appreciate that. Of course, stuff my pleasure. Stuff I've not been asked before. Made it more fun. <laughs> Thanks, Helene. This week's episode has now come to an end, but our content doesn't end here. Head over to jessetinsley.com where you can find more valuable resources to hire and keep the ultimate workforce. That's jessetinsley.com. Enjoying this week's episode? Make sure not to miss the next episode. Hit subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.